I think I said Genesis 39 because we're going to cover some verses in chapter 39, but our verse for today's study is found in chapter 40. In chapter 40, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I did get a chance last week to say anything to Ty and to his son Bryce, and I don't remember who was with him last week, but I'm so glad to see you guys today, and what I want to acknowledge is that Bryce got a scholarship to college last year as a baseball pitcher, and he had a pretty successful year, I understand, so I want to thank the Lord that we got a man that believes something that's pitching. We need some Christian ball players, we need some Christian football players and some basketball players, we need some people of God in every department in life. And Bryce, it's good to see you today. I, I don't want to embarrass him. He's, he's not a fellow that uh, he doesn't seek to be recognized, but I felt that that's what I should do this morning. Genesis chapter 40. For those of you who are visiting with us, this is our 35th study, 30 study number 35 on the story of, jo- of Joseph, and today the theme is the blessing of unanswered prayer. The blessing of unanswered prayer. Joseph says to this butler in verse 14, verse 14 of Genesis chapter 40, Think on me when it shall be well with thee, And show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that should put me into the dungeon. Now watch this. Verse 23. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, praise the Lord, and you may be seated. Joseph cannot stay out of trouble. (laughs) Everything he does goes from bad to worse. And every time he turns around, things get worse. First, it was his brothers who hated him and sold him. And then the Ishmaelites, to whom his brothers had sold him, sold him again to a man named Potiphar, an officer of the pharaohs. And then Potiphar's wife, who wanted Joseph to be her lover, lied to her husband about him when he refused her. And as I have said numerous times, Potiphar knew his wife was lying. He knew that. And he could have easily gotten to the truth by investigating. But hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And so rather than face his wife, he carried through and he put Joseph in prison. He took the easy way out. Now, if you have your Bibles open, if you don't, look on with somebody. Or in the pew, there should be a Bible. Genesis 39, verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But guess what? Even in prison, Joseph was blessed. Verse 21, Genesis 39, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And who was the keeper of the prison? 
The keeper of the prison was none other than Potiphar who himself who had put Joseph in prison. Did you know that? In a short while, he put Joseph in charge in prison just like he had him in charge in his house. Again, he's in the prison ward, but he's in charge. Verse 22, Genesis 39, and the keeper of the prison, that's Potiphar, committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand. The keeper of the prison didn't have to do anything. Joseph did it all because, notice this statement now, because the Lord was with Joseph, was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Now here are five easy lessons for you before we get into the burden of what I have to say today. First of all, I want you to realize that Joseph was a good-looking guy. He was a handsome, a very handsome man. He was a very intelligent man. He was a very talented man. But good looks and talents and intelligence mean nothing unless the Lord is with you. Unless the Lord is with you. And I want you to underline that if you have your Bible in verse 23. It says the Lord was with him. That's number one. Whatever your abilities are, whatever your talents are, however intelligent you are, you may be a good-looking woman, you may be a handsome man. That will not stand you in good stead in life and certainly not with the Lord unless the Lord is with you. Lesson number two, recognizing and believing that the Lord is with you will give you tremendous courage and optimism. Who can be against me if God is with me? If God is with me, what can be against me? Well, now things can come against me, but not with any success. Ultimately, if God is with me, I'm going to be blessed. And that's what Paul says in the book of Romans, isn't it? It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I could name a lot of characters uh, for you. Moses, for example, when God called Moses, Moses, you know what he said? He said, I can't talk. I'm not a good speaker. In fact, some, some traditions say that Moses was a stutterer, that he stuttered. And when he said, well, I can't talk, I, I, they, they, the Lord said, who made man's mouth? Yeah, but I mean, I mean he said, now, my brother Aaron, he said, I'll tell you what, Moses, I'll whisper in your ear what I want, and you whisper it in Aaron's ear, and Aaron can be the loudspeaker. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Later, Moses was emboldened, but he couldn't do anything until he realized, and it took him some time, that the Lord was with him. That's what the Lord said to Moses. I will be with you. What about Gideon? You remember when the Lord called Gideon? When he called him, he said, Thou mighty man of valor. You know what Gideon was doing when God called him? He was hiding. <laughs> he was threshing wheat and hiding from the Midianites. And he said, I want you to lead my people to victory over the Midianites. And Gideon began to make excuses. And uh, he said, well, now, if you're really calling me, let me put out a fleece tonight, make that wet, make all the ground dry. So the next day he got up, fleece was wet, ground was dry. I said, now, I'm not sure I heard from you, but how about tonight making the fleece dry and the ground wet? Let's do it. Let's do reverse. He did that. 
And then he still wasn't certain. And the Lord said, why don't you take a man with you and slip down into the camp of the Midianites, and there you'll hear two Midianites discussing a dream that they had. And he slipped into the camp, and he heard these two guys talking about a loaf of bread that tumbled into the camp and turned over everything. And the other guy said, that's nothing in the world but the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And boy, Gideon was emboldened then, and he went out and he became the mighty man that God knew he could be. But the way he was emboldened is he knew the Lord was with him. He knew the Lord was with him. Same thing with Joshua. When Joshua took the place of the great man Moses, God said to Joshua, I will be with you. Every place that your foot treads, everything you lay hold of, I'll bless it. And I'll make you as great or greater than the man Moses. You see, if you realize and you believe and you recognize that God is with you, it will give you tremendous courage and optimism. Number three, according to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 11, Joseph, like many of the saints of God, was exercised by his chastisement. All of the trials, all of the trouble he went through he profited from them. In other words, Joseph was a person that lived on top of his circumstances. I've told you before, I used to say when people say, how are you doing? I'd say, well, I'm doing all right under the circumstances. And one day somebody said, what are you doing under there? What are you doing under the circumstances when God is over the circumstances? And I said, that is exactly right. Joseph was a man who lived on top of his circumstances. He wasn't discouraged because he knew that God was with him. Number four, if you know that God is with you, that means that you recognize that the Lord has a purpose in every event in your life. Every event in your life has a purpose. And you know what that will do for you? That will give you great patience and the strength to persevere. You will be able to endure and to persevere if you know that God is with you, if you are exercised by the trials and the troubles you have, you know if God is with you, though, think about it. If God is with you, why would he let anything happen to you that's not for your good and for his glory? And when you realize that, when you realize that there is a purpose in every event in your life, in every circumstance, that nothing befalls you without the permission of God or the command of God, that should give you Great patience and perseverance. And number five, the point of all trial is to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read that in the book of Romans, chapter 8, I believe it is, chapter 8 and verse 29. We are predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of the trials and all of the troubles that enable us to be stronger, to trust the Lord, to endure, to have patience, to give Him glory, is conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one suffered like our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we endure suffering, we are being conformed to His image. So those are five little lessons for you. Now chapter 40 begins, And it came to pass... We used to have an old brother that came and spoke to us years ago. His name was Scott Richardson. He was an old fellow from West Virginia. Uh, a fellow that basically taught himself the Scripture. And he was what I call a one-note preacher. He would make one point, and you would never forget it. 
He came from way back in the hills of West Virginia. His brother, for example, his brother had never been to a hospital. And his brother came down with a little case of appendicitis, and they had to do an appendectomy on him. And uh, they took him to the hospital, and they didn't explain any of the procedures. They didn't tell him what would be going on. They didn't tell him what would be going on after the surgery in the room of recovery, and nothing like that. And so Scott said, my brother woke up in the recovery room. And he said when he looked around, he saw four or five other people, and they were covered up with sheets. And he sat up and he said, my God, they've killed us all. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about way back in the hills of West Virginia. Well, Scott Richardson used to say this. Chapter 40 begins with the words, and it came to pass. And Scott said, when it says it came to pass, he says, it always does. It always does. It came to pass, verse 1, after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was wroth, he was very angry against two of his offenders, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. Verse 3, and he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard, notice this, into the very prison, the place where Joseph was bound. Now these two servants of the Pharaoh had offended him. And I, I looked up that word and researched that word translated offended. And it's from a Hebrew word that means to miss the mark, to stray from the path or the goal of right duty, and thus to incur guilt or penalty. Now, we don't know exactly what they did. Maybe the baker burned Pharaoh's biscuits. Maybe the cupbearer stumped his toe and spilt wine on the Pharaoh's Persian rug, or on the Pharaoh himself. We don't know what they did, but we do know this. This is what we do know. It doesn't really matter what they did, but here's what we do know. In Egypt, the Pharaoh is sovereign over life and death. All dictators and all tyrants always are. Karl Marx, who wrote the Communist Manifesto, Vladimir Lenin, who inquired into it and put communism in place in Russia through the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution, the Communist Revolution. He put it in place, but he was a weak man and he died. They overthrew the Tsar in Russia. But then a little fella named Joseph Vasarinovich took over. You know who that is? That's the guy we call Stalin. And Stalin ruled with an iron fist until 1953 when he died. And it's said that when he died, he had had some strokes. They were afraid to go in and even wake him up. But when they finally went in, Stalin lived for a few hours, but it says that while he was on that bed, and he hated the name of Jesus Christ. And this, is a, this is a testimony from his daughter. That while he was on that bed, just before he died, they said his eyes got wide and he raised up his fist and he said, you have conquered. Speaking, I think, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Stalin was a tyrant. Stalin was like the Pharaoh. And he is sovereign. The Pharaoh is sovereign over life and over death. Just the way all tyrants are. Just the way all dictators are. The heathen kings of long ago did as they pleased. And in terms of life and death, they had sovereign sway. And these two men, the butler, who's really the cupbearer, and the baker, they are in prison because the Pharaoh put them there, and it doesn't matter why. 
But here's something that we Christians know that changes the entire picture. Yes, the Pharaoh is sovereign over life and death in his kingdom of Egypt, but the God of Joseph is sovereign over the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh can't lift his finger without the permission of the God of Joseph. He can't draw another breath without the permission of the God of Joseph. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1. It says, and it's up on the screen for you, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Now what does that mean? It means that the Pharaoh thinks that he has put these men in prison. He thinks he is calling the shots, but it is the Lord. It is the Lord who has put them in prison using Pharaoh to do so. You know, I hate for anybody to die. I do. But for years and years and years in this nation, we exercise what's called capital punishment. What does that mean? That means if you take a life, you lose yours. If it's proven that you took a life premeditatively, you lose your life. Now, capital punishment is almost gone, and one reason it's gone is because of a misunderstanding. Everybody from the judge to the jury to the people who push the button that uh, releases the gases, if it's that type of execution, or if it's a firing squad, or if it's whatever it is, they think they bear the guilt. No, it is God who says, if man sheds blood, by man's blood shall his own blood be shed. It is God who kills people. And he uses governments to do that to keep it in order. And that's almost gone in America. Now I say I hate for anyone to die, even a criminal. But I hate worse to displease the Lord. And we are seeing now the fruit that's coming in this nation as a result of not suffering from the consequences of bad decisions. You see, decisions have consequences. You make a decision about something... If it's a bad decision, if it's a wrong decision, you're going to suffer the consequences. And we've got moms and dads today that don't let their children make any bad decisions because they rush in and save them. They become their child's savior, so their children grow up and they don't need a savior. That's a bad mistake, mom and dad. It's a bad mistake. You need to let your children see that choices have consequences. They have consequences. If you go out and murder somebody, or somebody on the television here recently, some young man that killed all those young people, there's no question about his guilt. And yet, you know what? When he went before the judge, he, was, he pled not guilty. If we can get a hold of the truth that it is God for the children of God who caused the shots, It'll revolutionize our lives. Absolutely nothing can be done without the Lord's order or without the Lord's permission. Listen, God called Abraham my servant. He also called Moses my servant. He called Caleb my servant. He called King David and Job and Isaiah and other men and women of God my servant. But he also called a man who didn't know anything about him my servant. He called Nebuchadnezzar my servant. He called Cyrus, the king of Persia, my servant. And don't tell anybody, but the Pharaoh is God's servant too. And don't tell Joseph just now, although he will discover it later, but it is the Lord who has put him in prison. 
Turn over. We've already looked at this a few times, but it's been a while back. Turn to the last chapter in the book of Genesis. The last chapter in the book of Genesis. When Joseph is huddled with his brothers, and his brothers is afraid now that their father is dead, that Joseph is going to take, he's going to take it out on them because of all that they did to him. And so they huddled up with Joseph, and verse 18 of Genesis chapter 50, verse 18 says, And his brothers went and fell down before his face, and they said, We're your slaves. Joseph said, Fear not, am I in the place of God? Watch it now, verse 20, As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. He said, brothers, God was directing you. He used your envy. He used your jealousy. He used your hatred to carry out his purpose and his plan. And he's using Pharaoh right here. Pharaoh thinks he has put him in prison. He thinks he's in charge, but God is in charge of Pharaoh. Now, many people use this language. I just heard some ladies the other day saying, God is sovereign, God is in charge. They were discussing a certain topic, a group of women, and they were trying to encourage another woman. And this one woman said to this other woman to whom they were trying to encourage, God is sovereign, he's got it all in control. And then he added this, and he wants you to let him help you. Well, that lady doesn't know anything about sovereignty of God. My friends, God has it all in control with or without your permission, with or without your help. And he never says in the word of God, I need you to trust me. I need you to let me help you. I know that a person may mean well, but this kind of talk is confusing and what has confused churches and multitudes in the United States. Listen to me. God Almighty is in control. And if I don't trust Him, He is still in control. And if I don't call on Him, I will be the loser, not Him. I need Him. He does not need me. Now, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yes, the Pharaoh put these two men in prison, but he put them in prison at the good pleasure of the God of Joseph, who gave Joseph a dream when he was 17 years old, and he said, I'm going to make you the prime minister of Egypt. And Joseph didn't understand that dream at that time. I think it's beginning to dawn on him. The greatest illustration in the world that God uses bad people making bad decisions to carry out his own purpose is the crucifixion of Christ. Why did Jesus Christ come into the world? He came to save his people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 through 21. Who sent him into the world? The Father sent him into the world. If the Father sent him into the world to save his people from their sins, you think he'll be successful? Did the Father accomplish what he sent his Son to do? Or was he frustrated by the will of men and women? Nebuchadnezzar, when he was confronted with the God of Joseph, he said he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What are you doing? That's Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts, he tells us in Acts chapter 3 that in spite of Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Romans, and the people of Israel, the Lord did what he had determined to do. He sent his son into the world to die as a substitute to die by means of crucifixion, and in spite of all the resistance, he accomplished it. 
That's all spelled out in Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? What are they imagining that they can overthrow the hand of God? And God said, yet, in spite of your resistance, in spite of your hatred, I have set my holy hill, my holy king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Does that sound like a God that's asking permission? He used Mary, he used Joseph, he used the Pharisees, he used the Sadducees, he used the Herodians, and listen, don't tell me, if you believe the Bible, he used Judas Iscariot. He used the Jewish leaders. And who put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him? The Bible says the devil entered into him at the Last Supper. He used the devil. I tell you, it is not the Pharaoh who is in control. It is the Lord. And my dear friends, listen now. We can submit to him and to his will, and it will bring blessings. We can resist and reject and suffer the trial and the sufferings and the trouble and at last eternal death. The Lord put these two men in prison. He put them in a particular part of the prison with Joseph. He put them in prison at this specific time and he put them in there on purpose. There are no accidents with God. Now notice verse 3 of chapter 40. Verse 3. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. Now verse 4. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. He made him responsible for them, and he served them, and they continued in a season in the ward, in that particular section of the prison. You see, there were other men that the keeper of the prison could have put in charge of these two particular men, but he chose Joseph to do it. No doubt, you wonder how Joseph got through everything he went through. Joseph was an optimist. Joseph was always bright and sharp and friendly. And so we read in verse 6, verse 6, Joseph came in unto these two men in the morning, and he looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And so he asked, verse 7, Why you look so sad today? <laughs> and this tells us something about Joseph. He possessed a tender spirit. He was affected by their countenance. He entered into their trouble. After all, he was a prisoner too. And he found out that they had something in common because they said, verse 8, we have dreamed a dream and there's no interpreter of it. Well, guess what? Joseph is a dreamer too. He's had dreams. We don't know whether or not he understood his own dream at this point, but he could certainly relate to these two fellow prisoners who had dreamed. Remember what we learned last week about witnessing? Joseph is a witness to these two fellows of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember what we learned? Let me just rehearse it very quickly with you. First of all, he developed trust with these two prisoners by a consistent testimony and by kindness. Number two, he paid attention to them. That's what we see in verse 6. He looked on them and he noticed they were sad. Number three, he engaged them in conversation. He said, why do you look so sad today? Number four, when you're witnessing to somebody, don't talk so much about yourself. Ask them about something from them and see if you're interested in what they have to say. He said, tell me the dreams, I pray you. That's what he said to them. They said, we had a dream. And he said, well, tell me the dreams. He didn't say, well, look, let me tell you about me. I was sold 
twice. I was put in the slave market. I was put in prison. No, he's, he's acting like he's interested in them. What's, what's the matter with you? Well, we're sad. What happened? Well, we had some dreams. Well, tell me those dreams. Don't talk about yourself. Find out about them. Let them talk. Number five, always point to the Lord. Verse eight, he said, well, I don't know anything about dreams because I've had some I don't understand. But he said, I know this, interpretations belong to God. He pointed to him. He didn't point to himself. If he had lived today in 2022, he'd be made a television star. I can interpret dreams, brother. Put me on television. We'll make a million a day. In the sixth place, when you witness with somebody, tell them the truth. Joseph told the butler, you're going to be released in three days and you're going to be restored. He told the baker, you're going to be hanged. He told them the truth. Now, when we're talking to somebody, we can't just talk about heaven. In fact, I'm going to share something with you. Some of you are going to differ with me on that, and that's all right. <laughs> on what I'm about to say. I don't think witness to somebody is telling them about how to get to heaven. I think it's telling them about Christ, who's the way to heaven. Tell them about Christ. This is life eternal. Do you know anybody? Let me ask you a question. Do you know anyone? Have you ever talked to anyone and you ask them, don't you want to go to heaven? Do you know anybody that doesn't want to go to heaven? I've never met a person that doesn't want to go to heaven. But what they don't want is they don't want to bow to Christ. They don't want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't want to have Christ on his terms. The Bible clearly says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. They're like the guy who the preacher said, anybody want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Well, everybody raised their hand but one man. And he said, brother, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, of course I do, but I thought you was getting up a load now. I want to go, but I don't want to go right now. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Point to him. And let me tell you this in the seventh place. We have a dream to interpret. And it is the dream of God. Those who embrace God's Son will be saved from eternal destruction, but those who reject Him will be punished with everlasting destruction. And we have to tell people that. We have to tell them, if you reject God's Son, the wrath of God abides on you. John chapter 3, verse 36. And all who reject Christ will be thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 20 and verse 15. No, we're too busy telling folks how to live victoriously, how to be happy, how to be healthy, how to be prosperous, how to get all these things from God, but we're not telling them the gospel. We're not telling them that Christ is the only way and you must come to know him. He's just not somebody to save you from hell. He's somebody to direct you in your life. And so Joseph reached out to men to whom he owed nothing. It's a wonderful picture of Christ. He reached out to them out of a concern, a sincere concern, and a tender heart. He was not thinking of how he could use them, but he entered into their plight. He entered into their world. You know what? Since he told the baker, you're going to be hanged, maybe he had prayer with him. Maybe he had prayer with the baker. Maybe he told him about the God of Abraham. Maybe the baker came to some hope in the God of Joseph. Maybe Joseph told him about the Lord and it gave him some hope in the light of his impending death. Joseph didn't ask for money for interpreting their dreams, as many do today. He wasn't in the business of selling to others what the Lord had shown him. 
I got a revelation from God and you can have it on a CD for $25. You just send a gift into this ministry and we'll send you the seven secrets of getting things from heaven. I'm so sick of hearing that, I don't know what to do. I'm sick of people trying to bribe God. My friends, listen to me. I have been here for almost 52 years, and I haven't missed a meal yet. And I have never sold one thing in the name of Jesus Christ. Not one thing. We were on television for 20 years. And I said, if you want this message, you write to us, and we'll send it to you. And the only reason we went off television is so we could build this building. And the Lord has paid this building off. How'd that happen? Yeah, I say that too. Thank you, Becky. <laughs> How'd that happen? Well, he'll supply if he calls you to do something, he'll take care of you. Never mind whether hear, people hear or whether they don't hear. In the great day of judgment, they'll know that God sent somebody to tell them the truth. They'll know that. So Joseph didn't ask for money. He wasn't in business of selling to others what the Lord had shown him, but he did make one request. Verse 14. Think on me, that means remember me, when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. Verse 15. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon. He said, mention me to the Pharaoh. That was his request. That was his prayer. And what happened to Joseph's request? What happened to his prayer? Verse 23. The chief butler did not remember Joseph. He forgot all about him. I told a lady yesterday, I was shopping at Kroger. <laughs> you say, Brother Sass, you're a nitpicker. picker. Yes, I am. <laughs> And I went over there to put the, the cart up, and those carts were, so I straightened them up and shoved them in there, right, like they're supposed to be. And a guy was coming over there. I said, give me that cart. I'll put it in here. I said, I'm not going to be like everybody else, and I hope you're not. Here's my cart. Let the next person take care of it. I'm not going to put it up. Just throw it over there. Half of them don't even take them to put them up. They just leave them by the car. So you can't even park. <laughs> yes, sir, I'm a nitpicker. <laughs> I think you ought to put your cart where it goes. I think you ought to put things up. I think you ought to straighten your room up in the morning when you get up. I think you ought to clean things and keep them straight. So don't come over and look at my desk. <laughs> Einstein said if a cluttered desk is a sign of genius, what do you think an empty desk signifies? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, he made that one request. He said, mention me to the Pharaoh. That was his prayer. Now, what happened? Chief Butler forgot him and forgot his request. Once he was out of prison, the butler was out of prison, he forgot Joseph altogether. And we're all like that. We, we, I mentioned it last week. Somebody says, pray for me. You say, okay, and then we forget it. Make you a list. Get you a list. Write down names. You don't have to spend a half hour on each name. Just lift up their name to the Lord. Mention them before the Lord. Start your list and pray. Pray for this church. I told Becky this morning, she said, we women, we're studying hard. We're preparing for the children's classes, and none of the children show up. Why is that? Why, why aren't these pews packed? Well, people aren't interested in hearing the gospel. Maybe we aren't being faithful and doing all we can to invite people. Now, I know we've had the coronavirus, and that has hurt us some, but we find other things to do. Oh, well, the church will be there next week. It'll be there next month. Well, there's going to come a time when it won't be here. It's going to come a time when I won't be here. You'll be standing out there by my grave at Williamson Memorial. 
My friends, do what you're going to do now. You're going to talk to somebody about the Lord, talk to them now. If you've got kids that don't know the Lord, tell them about it. Tell them, come out and worship with me. You've got friends, husbands, wives. We're like those ten men that Christ met in Luke chapter 17. They all cried out to him, Lord, have mercy on us, and he healed them all. And it said in a little while, one of them came back to give him thanks and to thank him. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? It's in Luke's gospel, chapter 17. Where are the other nine? Oh, how many times has the Lord delivered us? How many times has the Lord healed us? How many times has he taken a bad situation and turned it around for a blessing? Jesus gives us hope. Jesus, when you get a bad cold and you get well, that's the Lord Jesus healing you. Much less coronavirus. Terry said that his wife had had coronavirus. Brother Wood of the Gideon. Joseph had given this man hope, and he only made a small request. Remember me to the Pharaoh. How many times have we sung, the arm of flesh will fail you, you dare not trust your own, and yet we do. We trust our flesh, and we trust the flesh of other people. The Lord rebuked Israel for trusting in some other nation. Well, let me hurry on. Here's a wonderful revelation for us, and I'm going to leave you. And this is the basis of the theme of this study, the blessing of unanswered prayers. Here's a great revelation. If you'll notice, that fellow did not carry out Joseph's request. What was Joseph's prayer? What was his request? Verse 14, think on me, remember me, mention me to the Pharaoh, and let me get out of here. I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. I didn't do anything for once they had put me in here. But it says that that guy forgot him in verse 23. Let me tell you something now. You got your pew straps on? He forgot him because that was the Lord's plan and purpose and that was the Lord's will for him to forget him. Listen to this now. Listen. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In all things rejoice, don't quit praying, no matter how bad things get, no matter how many times you've asked him, don't quit praying. Pray at all times about all things. And in everything give thanks for this is the will of God. You can even thank God for unanswered prayer. Even the butler's forgetfulness was of the Lord. And let me tell you how I know that. Do you realize what would have happened if the butler had remembered Joseph? Let's have a suppose illustration. Let's suppose that the butler had remembered Joseph. Let's suppose that he had mentioned him to the Pharaoh. Let's suppose that the Pharaoh had released released Joseph. What would have happened? Well, Joseph would have gotten out of prison, and he would have returned home and been reunited with his family. What would have happened to his dreams that God gave him, that he's going to be governor of Egypt? What would have happened to the plan of God and the purpose of God? What would have happened to his family when the famine's going to hit in 14 years? They would have been wiped out because there would have been no intercessor with Pharaoh for them. What would have happened to the promises of God made to Abraham which came through Joseph? It means that the children of Israel would not have been transported into Egypt. They would have not lived in Egypt for 430 years in the land of Goshen. It means that there'd be no exodus. There'd be no promised land. And I got news for you. There'd have been no Savior to save us. We would have happened. We would have been damned with no Savior. What would have happened to our souls and our salvation through faith in the descendant of Abraham and Joseph? 
What would have happened if the prayer of Joseph had been answered as he wished it answered? Remember me when you get out. Don't forget me. If that guy had remembered him and he had gone to the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh had said, okay, I'm going to let him out, you can throw this thing called the Bible away. I tell you, God is in charge. I tell you, he is in charge, my friends. And if you trust him, nothing in your life is insignificant. Nothing is without a lesson for you. Nothing is without purpose. And listen, and underscore this, it's always, always for your good. It's always for your good. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Right? So if you had a hard time in life, guess who gave it to you? The Lord. But look here, it's for your good. It's to cause you to look to him. It's to cause you to trust in him. No chastisement for the moment seems a pleasure, the writer to the book of Hebrews says, but it produces in us patience, kindness, love, endurance, long-suffering, and faith to those who are exercised by it. Thank the Lord for the blessing of unanswered prayer. You remember the old story? I've told it to you a hundred times. A few years ago, I went down to Albany, Georgia, where I graduated from high school in the last century. And I went down, and all of my old friends had changed. Of course, I hadn't. But boy, they had really gone through a change. And the old story goes like this. We tried to reacquaint ourselves with our old friends in high school, and so there was this one fellow there named John, and he had a friend named Mark, and Mark called John and said, Come here, John, I want to show you something. What's that? He said, Look over there across the gymnasium floor. You see that girl over there, that blonde-headed woman? Yeah. So you know who that is? No, who is that? He said, that's Joan. That's the girl you said you couldn't live without. That's the girl you said you had, you had to marry her. You were going to die if you didn't get her. And John said, could you excuse me a minute? And Mark said, sure. He thought John was going to go across the floor and introduce him, reintroduce himself to Joan. He went outside. When he came back in, Mark said, where'd you go? He said, I went out there and had prayer. He said, what'd you pray about? He said, I thank God for unanswered prayer. <laughs> John didn't turn out the way he thought she was going to turn out. Your life is not going to turn out the way you think it's going to turn out, but it's going to turn out the way he wants it to turn out. And listen, if you will trust him, it'll all be a blessing. And you'll be able to look back with the Apostle Paul and you'll say, the things that I've gone through are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. We must pray, never stop praying. Pray without ceasing. But the safest prayer that we can pray the safest prayer we can pray is nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Lay out before the Lord everything that's on your heart. Pray to him, Lord, give me this, or direct me here, or show me this. But when you finish laying that out, you say, nevertheless, not my will. Let thine be done. That's the only, that's the safest prayer you can pray. That's safe. You're safe ground. You're on.